Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. Well, this is TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, and it's been a well, rough and tough week. And, and uh, in the studio with us, we have no Republicans. We it's only Friday. have two common-sense Democrats. We have Governor uh, Governor David Patterson and uh, and Judge Richard Weinberg. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Okay, us. and my sidekick today, we we have a special guest. We have Rita Cosby. How are you today, Rita? I'm doing great because I'm here with the Cats and Night crew, all the guys, and we have an action-packed show. Action-packed. Action action John. By the way, I was talking to, uh, at lunch today, I was talking to uh, uh, Leader uh, uh, McCarthy, and he made a comment about uh, what happened with uh, Lee Zeldin. Can we have that comment? Uh, Leader McCarthy, I mean, uh, there's uh, there's so many problems in our country with uh, uh, the the difference in law in different states. Him being a uh, congressman, uh, shouldn't the FBI get involved? And uh, if New York State is not going to uh, prosecute that person that attacked the congressman, should the FBI get involved and make it a federal crime? Look, he attacked a federal elected officer. So right there gives him, I believe, jurisdiction to get in. But it, they, they, they charged him with attempted assault. It wasn't attempted. He reached. You know, if you're attempting something, you're planning it, but it doesn't come about. No, he actually assaulted Lee Zeldin. He, he touched Lee Zeldin. He swung his arm. If Lee Zeldin had not put his arm up and held that arm back, Lee could have been, would have been stabbed. So that's not an attempt. That's an actual assault. And uh, we'll hear the rest of uh, Leader McCarthy's uh, interview on Cat's uh, uh, Roundtable on Sunday. And uh, I understand we have the congressman on? Yeah, we do. We have Congressman Lee Zeldin. And by the way, action-packed show, everybody. We've got Michael Goodwin coming up. We also have Peter Mihalos coming up. And, of course, we're going to be talking to the CEO of Goya Foods, Bob Unanway, about a big deal that happened on grain and food supplies. That's all coming up. But as you just mentioned, John, first of all, I can't wait to hear the rest of that interview because it is so timely on Sunday at the Cats Roundtable. And joining us now is Congressman Lee Zeldin. Uh, Congressman, first of all, how are you doing? Hey, it's great to be with all of you. I'm doing okay. I'm very grateful for the seven, eight, nine, ten different people who instinctively, quickly, tackled the attacker i'm grateful for the law enforcement officers who arrived on site uh, and apprehended the suspect and maybe i'm grateful to uh, my parents for uh you know paying for those karate taekwondo instructions that uh, got the black belt when i was younger but um it could have been a lot worse i i cringe whenever i watch it elsewhere where i see political violence as it relates to our country and scores being settled outside of the ballot box with violence. I don't care what party you are. I don't care what state it's in, what your ideology is. There's no place for it at all anywhere. And this one obviously hit as close to home as it gets. Uh, Congressman, uh, uh, the governor has state troopers uh, protecting her. Uh, who, who do you have? We ramped up security today. And uh, we've had rallies all throughout the day. We actually have another stop that's coming up. And, and we not only have heightened security today, we'll have heightened security through the, uh, through the election. 
Uh, we did hear today from the superintendent of the, the New York State Police uh, who contacted me and, and our teams are, are talking over what else needs to get done. Uh, and I grew up in a trooper household. So, uh, you know, I have a special affinity, a special affection for our troopers. And uh, we, you know, we'll be able to, to work together. And, and locally, we have a lot of great uh, law enforcement units all across the state. And it just really highlights what has long been a position of mine. And, and John, you've, you've championed this, especially in the city, we have to make sure that all of these uh, men and women in blue have the resources they need to do their jobs. You know what the craziest thing that happened out of Monroe yesterday wasn't this attack. In Monroe County, when Alison Esposito and I were in the county sheriff's office after the attack, they got a call that two Rochester police officers were shot, and one of them ended up dying. Oh, my God. Wow. Here, here they are on, you know, it's just, it's another night, and you don't know what kind of calls you're going to get. And for these two families of these Rochester police officers, you see firsthand the ultimate sacrifice that could be uh, that could be paid. And in one case, actually did pay that yesterday. Uh, and and our law enforcement is stretched thin. They deserve our support. Yeah, thousand percent. Everybody, we're talking to Congressman Lee Zeldin, who, as everybody's been talking about, uh, the attack that happened to him during the campaign stop. Lee, I have to ask you, too, about uh, the fact that Kathy Hochul, the governor who you're running against, um, she put out this tweet that basically said, here's your schedule and my supporters come on out to your event. Um, what was your reaction to that? The GOP chair, New York GOP chair says, you know, she may be sort of partially responsible. What are your thoughts? So I, I've heard about my schedule being put out and. Uh, listen, I, I think what's really important here is the message that we all are all sending to people. And you could be elected official, you could be a candidate, you could be somebody who just has a few people who might be listening to what you have to say to take guidance uh, and, and follow it. Some individuals take advice to the extreme, and whether it was Maxine Waters calling for confrontation of people who uh, are Trump administration officials and confronting them at uh, restaurants, and at movie theaters, we are all we still will never forget to this day what happened to Steve Scalise. We had the issue with the Supreme Court justices uh, over the course of these last few weeks being intimidating, being intimidated out, out their houses. My message is whoever you are, and I don't care whether you support me or you're opposed to me. And this should be the message that everyone else is relaying. We set all our scores at the ballot box and it's OK to debate. It's OK to disagree. We live in the greatest country in the history of the world, and one of the reasons why that is is because we have this country where you're allowed to disagree with people who are in office and different candidates, uh, but there just has to be certain rules that are put out there and lines that you just don't cross. And, and you know, today, as I was going from one rally to the next, I'm going from Onondaga County, where Syracuse is, up to Jefferson County, where Watertown is, and Fort Drum, and I have some box truck with my name and uh, face uh, going after me, following us to the next events. Like, really, the next day? You're not even going to wait a few weeks? Uh, so I don't know. Uh, there's just certain standards and rules in how we do this. And what's most important is we don't want anybody to get hurt who raises their hand willing to serve. Uh, I give a credit to everybody who's willing to step up uh, and put their name in the hat. You know, Governor Patterson, who's there with you, he's you know, been through a whole bunch of, of, of elections. It doesn't matter what party you are. What your ideology is, 
Uh, I feel like we just need to do better in making sure that political violence never emerges in politics and in American democracy. Yeah, bravo. Uh, Absolutely. Governor Patterson? So, Congressman, as you know right now, if you are running for president, if you receive a certain amount of support, in other words, if you pass a threshold, you get Secret Service protection while you're running. Now, I think it might be an idea to look at that when someone wins the nomination of the party that is out of office at that particular time, that they would get uh, protection from the state troopers because uh, based on the next election, they could become the next governor of the state of New York. And I just wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, Governor, I I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I think that it's very important, especially this day in age uh, and with social media and the way that people are revved up in their engagement in politics and the way that they're engaging in politics. I think it's a smart move because what you want is to protect the debate. You want to protect the process. Uh, and you don't want to have any incident where you know, you're getting to a November 8th election in any particular state, in any of these races. But, you know, as you talk about the New York governor's race, you you don't want to be stuck with one option because there was a particular incident and the lack of security. Uh, you, I think it's important not, to look at it, not just about protecting a person, but really protecting the entire American electoral process. The other thing, too, Lee, is um, the fact this guy is out already. I mean, this is astounding. Uh, Judge Weinberg, I know you want to chime in on that. Well, I think uh, Congressman Zeldin has been leading the charge on this issue. The fact of the matter is you have a renegade state legislature who's been passing all these laws that make law enforcement untenable in terms of protecting public safety. And if a candidate for governor of the state of New York is not safe and is not protected by the bail laws, then who is? So we're very, very happy congressman that uh, that you're alive and well and you're you're unhurt but i think you have to continue to lead that charge to get those laws changed and as governor i know that's one of your commitments well i asked uh leader mccarthy uh if the fact is if if the state is not going to go after this guy that attacked you you as a congressman and maybe maybe the fbi should have him arrested i know that there was uh, some interaction with uh, federal agencies uh, today. I don't have the details on the nature of that interaction and uh, what was discussed and what's being planned. Uh, but I do know that there there was uh, engagement and, and comms. Uh, I be- have long believed that there needed to be a major overhaul with cashless bail uh, in this state. And we just saw it a couple weeks ago where in New York, two Mexican cartel drug smugglers who were caught with $1.2 million worth of crystal meth, were instantly released. Now, the argument that gets made by advocates of cashless bail is that if you have some low-level offense where an individual has a clean record, they're not a flight risk, they're not a danger to society, that they should not be stuck in prison solely because they can't afford even the smallest amount of bail. I would argue that if you're caught with $1.2 million worth of crystal meth and you don't have any money to pay your bail, well, you're not just a bad criminal, but a bad salesman, a drug dealer. <laughs> you're a bad businessman. You're you're not planning for the possibilities that you might be detained. Uh, I just came from Syracuse, where 93-year-old Connie Tory was murdered 
by somebody who was released on cashless bail. And, and there was a story where somebody was released uh, on cashless bail for an arson and then rearrested in, in Yonkers for a double manslaughter. Uh, so I th- this overhaul is long overdue. Mayor Eric Adams is talking about how we need to do more here. He's called for a dangerous, dangerousness standard. Tom Swazi was running in a Democratic primary. He was talking about it. It was a major campaign playing for him. I believe that is incredibly important. It's extremely important uh, for us in the state of New York to have a repeal of cashless bail and giving judges discretion to weigh dangerousness and flight risk and past criminal record and seriousness of the offense on far more offenses and also to make sure that no judges are being so lenient that in certain cases where you absolutely need to keep somebody behind bars, that you don't have any judge putting one of those people back out on the streets, as we saw with the, the Goldman uh, Sachs uh, employee who was murdered a couple months ago on the subway in Staten Island, where in that case the prosecutor did ask for bail. It was a bail-eligible offense, but the lenient judge who was proud of being lenient released that person, and then they went out and committed the murder. So this overhaul is long overdue. It needs to get done to protect safety in New York. And yeah. I think that's going to be the issue in November, uh, uh, Lee Zeldin. Whom do you trust? Whom do you trust to keep you safe after November election? Yes, sir. And, and I believe that it's a, a, a incredibly important priority that must be top of the list for Albany for them to be doing far more to make sure that we are securing our streets, that people uh, feel secure in their homes, in their places of employment, and they also feel it like comes down, is Albany that. more interested in keeping 8.5 million New Yorkers safe? Or are they more interested in, in buying Kleenex for 3,000 violent criminals? Yeah, it's about protecting law-abiding citizens over criminals, and that has to be the priority always. Well, thank 1, you. Thank you, a gubernatorial candidate, Congressman Lee Zeldin, and thank you, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Lee. Glad you're safe, too. We're My gonna, goodness. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Michael Goodwin from the New York Post, and he's got some great stories. Yeah, he's talking about Hunter Biden and also Steve Bannon convicted. Selective prosecution. We're going to continue that on Cats at Night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And welcome back to Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby joining the great John Katsimatidis and also with us in studio, of course, Judge Richard Weinberg and former New York governor, another great Democrat here with us, David Patterson. And joining us now, of course, one of the big news is the Steve Bannon convictions, which just came in just a few hours ago. Uh, Joining us to talk about it is the great Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Post columnist, Michael Goodwin. Michael, great to have you here on Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby. How are you? Thank you, Rita. Pleasure to join you. What was your reaction? Big news. Steve Bannon uh, found guilty pretty quickly. It was three hours and ten minutes was the jury deliberation. That's very quick. That's I could buy a whole I could buy like uh, 20 dresses in that time. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, it's uh, it's probably even longer than the defense that Bannon put on, which made this case uh, extremely curious. Uh, I don't understand. I mean, Bannon tried to fight the the congressional subpoenas. He knew he had lost. He was going he had been indicted on it. He was going to face a trial. And he seems not to have put on any real case. uh, the the uh, claim of executive privilege apparently 
uh, dated to conversations he had with President Trump uh, years earlier. And I think Joe Biden had at any rate uh, withdrawn the executive privilege in, in certain cases. Biden, or, uh, um, Bannon was not in the White House, I think, since 2017. So it was a very strange defense. So I'm not really surprised that the jury convicted so quickly because he didn't give them a lot to chew over. What about the fact that they actually went after him? We were talking um, before the show about the fact that they haven't gone after people like this in years. The last time, by the way, a prosecution like this, G. Gordon Liddy in 1974. Was he a Democrat or Republican? Okay. It and seems like there's a pattern here, and John. Don't forget, and Michael, it's Richard Weinberg. Don't forget, uh, there was a sitting attorney general, Eric Holder, was in contempt of Congress, and he was never prosecuted either. So that you do okay. have a, you do have a question here of selective prosecution. Well, it's up to the uh, Justice Department ultimately, right? So exactly. Congress makes makes the uh, ref, the finding and the referral, and then sends it to the Justice Department and. Uh, uh, that was an Obama administration uh, with an Obama Justice Department did not prosecute uh, Holder. And here you have uh, a Democratic administration willing to prosecute a Republican uh, from the previous administration. I, I mean, I, I, I do think there is a weaponization of the Justice Department. And I believe Barack Obama did it. I, I think there's no question the way the FBI spied on the Trump campaign was very much a political operation in the sense that Hillary Clinton seems to have been the source of nearly all the information that the FBI relied on to spy on the candidate of the opposing political party. Um, and look, uh, look at look at the way. Um, the Hunter Biden story has unfolded. I mean, do, does anybody believe that Hunter Biden is going to be indicted? Um, if he is, Michael, if he is, Michael, you can bet it'll be on the tax, the tax and not on the corrupt foreign action or uh, or uh, the influence peddling. It'll be on the tax. Well, well I, but I think if it's merely a tax matter, uh, it'll there will be some kind of a settlement. Right. Uh, exactly I, I right. Yeah, I, I don't think the grand jury uh, indicted him. And it's been, what, four years since this case started? Um, I mean, there are there are privileges, aren't there? Yeah, and there's Michael, also, uh, there's also I, a false file, by the way, on the gun. He had a gun. He had a false filing yes. on the gun as well. Yes. Michael, yes. what I'm going to say may surprise you, but there are so many charges and so many incidents. You know, in other words, people can be guilty of things. We just don't have that much evidence. But there's a plethora of evidence here. I would really be surprised if Hunter Biden walks, uh, uh, you know, is is not charged with something. I'd really be surprised. Well, you might be right, David, in the sense that it would be, um, you know, some kind of, of a settlement. Uh, it, it could be a, a plea agreement. It could be a civil settlement over taxes. Um, but I my larger point is that if you are really going to investigate Hunter Biden, you know where that ultimately leads. It leads to Joe Biden. And I don't think uh, Merrick Garland has the stomach for that. I, I, I mean, this is the man who made him attorney general. And uh, Merrick Garland, I think, uh, proved his mettle by sicking the FBI on parents who complained at teachers' uh, teachers' unions meetings and school boards. 
I think he I think he's a team player uh, to a fault. I haven't followed the story that much, but I have a question for you. Was any discussion about a special prosecutor? This seems tailor made for a special prosecutor. Well, there was lots of urging of Bill Barr to appoint one. He he appointed one, of course, uh, Durham on the on the FBI and its handling of the Trump spying. Uh, but he did not appoint one on this case. Now, I think there must have been some agreement, perhaps, with the incoming Biden administration because they have left the Trump appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware in office, although they replaced most others. And that uh, U.S. attorney has been handling that case all along, and he's still there. So that may be that they have something of the equivalent of a special counsel in in the way of protection. So let me ask you a question also, Michael. What about also if the Republicans gain control of Congress? You know that they'll want to do investigations on Hunter Biden, even if it doesn't go through Delaware, it could go through Washington. Yes, I and and I think um, even under the end of the Trump years, uh, uh, Grassley and Johnson, the two senators, did some remarkable work in ferreting out how much money Hunter Biden was getting. I mean, the amounts of money we're talking about are simply staggering. I mean, the the one Chinese company appears to have paid Hunter Biden and the family, Jim Biden and one of their associates, eleven million dollars that we can track. Eleven million dollars. He got three and a half million dollars from the widow of the former mayor of Moscow, which has been totally uh, not explained. He's got other deals with Chinese companies. He still owns part of a Chinese company. Um, There's Romania. There's Colombia. There's Ukraine, of course, with Burisma and other things. I mean, it is just phenomenal amounts of money. And Joe Biden, of course, has said that he's never discussed this with his son. Now, we know that's a lie. I mean, Hunter Biden flew to China in 2013 with Joe Biden on Air Force Two, where he struck a deal with a Chinese bank to invest $1.5 billion in a Hunter investment fund. You're going to tell me that they're on this plane to and from China, and and Joe never says, son, what are you doing on my plane? Yeah, and you got the pictures of the golfing and everything. The yeah, other thing, too, Michael. Those meetings. Yeah, the so, logs. That's what I was about yeah. to say, the White House logs. Yes, yes. So, so the idea that Joe Biden would lie about that, and to this day, the White House says he stands by that comment that he never discussed his son's business with him. So we know it's a lie. The question is, why is he lying? What is he hiding that he has to lie about it? Why not just say, sure, he's my son. I love him. We talk about his business. But he never asked me to do him any favors, and I never did him any. Why not say that? That, too, would be a lie, by the way, because we know some of the favors. Nonetheless, to to make it such a simple threshold lie, we never discussed it. it Why were these people, Michael, why were these people want to do business with this kid, Hunter Biden, who has no real business experience, has no real virtues, he has some experience. Up. We've seen it on the videos. Well, that, that's a different, different kind of experience for you. But the point is, why would they do this, for that? do this business with this kid? But <clears throat> the fact is, 
father's well, the vice president of the United States. I, I, that's it. I mean, it's his name, right? That's that's all there is is the name Biden. So then, what what I think the question then becomes, Richard, what are the clients, the, the paymasters, and all of these foreign companies and governments? What are they getting for this? Why are they paying him tens of millions of dollars? What's it's it crazy. For them? Everybody knows the truth, and uh, nobody wants to say the truth, but everybody knows the truth. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Michael Goodwin, and uh, thank you. Keep investigating, and we have to take a uh, hard break right now. Yep, and we also have um, Lou Dobbs also with his financial report is coming up in just a second, too. And also Bob Unanwe coming up, the CEO of Goya Foods, talking about food crisis. So a huge, huge issue. A lot more ahead here, everybody, on Cats at Night. Stay with us, everybody. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And everybody, this is Rita Cosby with John Katsimatidis on Cats at Night. And big breaking news with Russia and Ukraine making a deal to open shipments of food for grain. Of course, Ukraine being a huge grain producer, big billion dollar deal and stunning, actually, that it's coming in the height, of course, of war. And joining us now to talk about all of this and the food crisis that's existing overseas and, of course, here in America, is the great CEO of Goya Foods, Bob Unanue. Bob, great to have you here on Cats at Night. This is Rita with John Katsimatidis and also Judge Weinberg and also Governor David Patterson. Well, it's so great to be with you all, the, the great Rita and John and, 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 and everyone there. Uh, this is indeed great news. Uh, if we had not seen this relief, uh, we would have been heading to a really you know, dire global food crisis. There's 22 million tons of food that were in the silos of last year's crop in the Ukraine that they finally have released. It's an agreement between the um, NATO, Turkey, Russia, and Ukraine to allow this grain from the breadbasket of, of the world to flow to the Black Sea and out. They're going to be uh, escorted by uh, Turkish warships, that this, and this agreement will free up those, uh, those grains. Now, those grains were in silos, and the bad news is that you know they've already planted this year's crop, which should come out in August, September, but that crop had nowhere to go because the silos were filled with last year's crop. So this is good news that they're finally releasing 22 million tons of grain and fertilizer. Uh, between Russia and Ukraine, they produce 50% of the world's fertilizer, 30% of the world's wheat, and 20% of the world's corn, along with 2.5 million acres of sunflowers and, and other crops. So this will help uh, – you know, this, the food crisis is happening around the globe. Unfortunately, because, you know, the fertilizer has been stuck in this country, we're seeing triple fertilizer cost, double uh, diesel cost. Half the cost for farmers is in fertilizer and diesel. So we've already seen, we're going to see, unfortunately, in September, when this new crop comes out here in this country, that the farmers have had to uh, use fertilizer at triple the cost and diesel at double. So we're going to see this inflation continue uh, in the United States. 
Wow, that's a big deal. What does that mean also to our food supply here? Kind of explain the chain of it. Well, you know, it, it's it's interesting, too, because in 2008, uh, then uh, Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, who was the governor of Iowa, said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's take our precious resources and produce corn for ethanol. Now, Iowa has a lot of corn that helps Iowa. It doesn't help the rest of the country. That had the effect of tripling the price of other grains because we're incentivizing the farmers to plant corn. Now, corn, it takes three gallons of fuel to make five gallons of ethanol. There's very little sugar in corn, so it's very inefficient. So now we've taken corn and we put it in our gasoline, which eats up at 10% then, now 15%. It eats up your fuel lines, and we're burning our fuel. When we have declared this war on fossil fuels in this country, we we don't need to dilute our fuel with ethanol very inefficiently and at a high cost. We we had the Keystone Pipeline underway. We had, you know, all these uh, fossil fuels that we've declared war on. Now we're out buying very expensive, dirty heavy crude from Venezuela, and we're re, uh, taking our refineries out of mouth, mouth balls, mothballs to uh, refine their oil instead of refining our own clean oil. And John uh, Castromatides has been ringing the, the bell of, of the warning bell of this idiotic war on, on fossil fuels. And, you know, he's been out in all the media. John's been doing a, a great job and Bring this to our attention, but it's kind of late. It's already baked in to this year's crop. Thank, thank you, Bob. When when uh, when Joe Biden, when President Biden was in Saudi Arabia and they thought there might be a deal, crude oil went as low as $89 a barrel that day. And then there was no deal and went back up again. Could you imagine if, if President Biden opened up all the United States, all of Alaska, all of Canada, the price would be back to 65 or 75 and there'll be no inflation, and we wouldn't have to raise interest rates. My God, I mean, you, but he's not going to do it. Well, this happened, John, day one. He declared war on fossil fuels. We, they came out with, it wasn't, I don't think it was Mr. Biden who, who was known to be a plagiarist. I don't think he penned 50 executive orders, which basically undid all of the uh, progress we've made in this country of being oil-independent and all the other things that this economy was humming. The other big thing mistake we made was closing everybody in. Uh, President Biden said, if you're vaccinated, you will not get COVID. And here he is with COVID. But we made a big mistake. We were an essential business. We kept operating. But the worst thing you can do is take away our purpose. We need a purpose to get up every day, God, family, and work. And every work, all work is essential, not just the food industry, we need to work. We need to have a purpose to get up every day. Yeah, and Bob, everybody, we're talking to the great CEO of Goya Foods, Bob Unanway. You know, Bob, you talk about this purpose, and John was just talking about, you know, the situation, open up the spigots, which, again, today, by the way, a couple hours ago, President Biden, again, didn't talk about that. He just kept talking about, you know, green energy again. How much is uncertainty affecting also from a business perspective? Because they don't know what to expect with this guy. Well, you know, we also have our priorities in the wrong place. We incentivize this green energy in Texas, where I am. uh, Well, I was today. I flew to New York. But uh, 
25%. We had a big freeze two winters ago. 25% of the, of the energy in Texas is with wind. The turbines, the windmills froze. We had helicopters throwing de-icer on the uh, turbines. The, the nuclear power plant was uh, under maintenance. So that we had the grid taxed, and we, we had a terrible freeze, a lot of damage. Europe has just declared nuclear and gas as green. So we're we're being you can't idiotic. make this up. I'm sorry. You can't, to... you can't make this up. Right. You know, after Germany gets rid of all their nuclear, I mean, I can't. The German people are supposed to be smart people. How can they be so dumb? Well, Trump warned them back in in the day. They don't rely on Russia for fuel. You know, we have all these resources, John. You know, uh, fuel, food. We have all these incredible resources that make us a great country. We have a great uh, defense. You know, we have strength. And we are not, we're, we're, you know, uh, throwing it out the window. We're We're going out to buy expensive fuel and ship it expensively and close our refineries. Our food, we're, you know, we're, uh, incentivizing either not planting or planting things that make no sense at all. Uh, what we're doing at Goya is we're going out, I'm going out and buying uh, all the, the food that we can get. Beans have protein, fiber, antioxidants, phytonutrients. Uh, we're doing planning that, you know, we need to produce, and, and, and I'm talking to the farmers in a couple of weeks uh, about how we can plan for the future to grow more of the essential food for this country. It's one of the things that make us great. We're the breadbasket, and we have these resources that we're, we're just throwing away. Yeah, well, well, very well said. Boy, there are so many things that we are just not doing in this country uh, or that we sadly eliminated in this country based on this president. Uh, Bob Unamwe, we love your perspective. You're one of the great, great business leaders out there, the CEO of Goya i got to say one more thing. Uh-oh. Goya. I've been selling it for 50 years at the Gristini's and D'Agostino's, the best beans I've ever had in my they life. They are great. I've actually had, they are fantastic. Fantastic. There's no, there's nobody who even comes close to second place. I buy them at Gristini's. Well, yep. Well, you guys have really <laughs> turned the, the, the station around. You have great people like Rita and, and others. Oh, and uh, God bless you for all the fantastic work you're doing. And because you're focused, you care about this country and our, our future. So God bless you for, for doing that. Well, thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. How great to have him. And now we go to Mario Economou, who is a great banker and economist. And Mario, give us the latest here on Cats at Night. How's everybody doing today? So, uh, yes, uh, he just mentioned the previous speaker did about the 22 million tons of wheat that are being released it is good news. It is good news that there is going to be wheat that's coming out into the marketplace. Uh, unfortunately, the person, or rather the country that brokered this deal was Turkey and President Erdogan, which is interesting considering it's a NATO member, and NATO is actually helping Ukraine uh, indirectly to fight against Russia. This is a very, very bizarre situation, and in my opinion, all it's done is strengthen Turkey, uh, both politically, internationally diplomatically. And I'm not sure uh, America is going to be able, even though there's a strong effort 
being undertaken in the U.S. Congress to uh, prevent the sale of F-16 latest generation jets to the Turks, uh, that uh, they will prevail. I believe at the end, President Biden will realize Turkey is important and Turkey will get the jets, which is not good. But that's another story for another day. Let's talk about Europe now. Europe continues to have forest fires. It continues to have a heat wave. There are a couple of things that have happened. Yesterday, the uh, European Central Bank increased interest rates by 50 basis points. That's the first time they've done this in 11 years. Some people are scratching their head and saying it's too little, too late. Others are saying it's too much, too soon. Uh, The reality is it's going to have an impact on the spreads of the lower meaning the southern European countries. Italy currently is in a crisis. Um, they're going to be going to an election in September. Uh, Prime Minister Draghi has officially resigned, and the president accepted his resignation. Germany continues to have tremendous problems. The German state actually nationalized uh, by 30% the company in Germany called Uniper that is responsible for importing the natural gas that's then distributed to German industry. Uh, they have put in uh, 9 billion euros to support the company. Um, some German states are actually reducing lighting on the streets. They're actually turning them down. The fountains are being turned off. The Germans are now preparing for what's going to be a very difficult fall and eventually When, when did Germany get poor? Uh, probably the day they decided to support the Ukraine and go against Russia. So, and it's only, they're only so, going to get much poorer. So uh, this, Mr. Unanaway was on before, and he's talked about uh, uh, the deal made between uh, Russia and the Ukraine and was brokered by, by, Turkey. by Turkey. Whose side was Turkey on this time? Their own. Correct. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, they're all over Thank the you, place. Thank you, Governor. Tur- Turkey's a member of NATO that's actually decoupling from NATO. It's something else that's interesting, uh, you all saw the pictures of President Erdogan in Iran with President Raisi and President Putin. Uh, he did actually get a rebuke from both of them. He wanted their blessing to be able to invade northern Syria and to engage in a war there. The Russians and the Iranians told him he is not allowed to do so. So he sort of went away with his tail between his legs, but he did walk away with this major victory today, um, having the uh, UN, uh, the head of the UN there next to you saying, what a great person you are and what a great job you've done in bringing this deal uh, to the market, um, actually gives you a tremendous amount of credibility in the world arena. Going back to Germany, though, uh, remember last week we discussed Hungary. Hungary to, um, is in the process of negotiating buying an additional Eight uh, million, uh, sorry, 800 million cubic uh, meters of natural gas from Russia. This is important. This is why German companies are now leaving Germany and they're relocating to Hungary. The most important thing the German manufacturing sector needs to know it has is access to energy. And in Germany, they're already saying that come the fall and the winter, when they're going to be facing constraints, they will actually start to scale down industry in order to keep providing heating and uh, electricity to the households. I asked a good friend of mine, why would they do that? Why would you pull money from industry in order to heat homes and to provide lighting? And he actually told me something which makes a lot of sense, because industry doesn't vote, whereas households do. So it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds, but a lot of people in Germany – Right now, they're supporting the government. Seventy percent say it's worth the sacrifice. 
in order to help the Ukraine, um, in order to not continue importing from uh, from Russia. Mario, but, that, that that aircraft that crashed in uh, northern Greece. Yes. Uh, with all those weapons on board, it was going mm-hmm. from where? From Serbia to where? So that's an that was an Antonov plane, which was it's a Russian-made plane, which was owned by a Ukrainian company, which was piloted by an eight-member Ukrainian crew, and it was en route from Serbia to Bangladesh, and it actually uh, one of its uh, propellers uh, caught fire over Greece in the northern part of Greece. It was suggested that it turn around and make its way back to Serbia. The pilot, for whatever reason, did not turn back right away, and by the time he decided to turn the plane around, he had to actually make his way to an airport in northern Greece, which he didn't make, and it crashed into the ground. They say there were mortars on board and other ammunitions. Um, the reality is nobody really knows. The Serbs say that, it, that this was a deal a Serbian company had made with Bangladesh to sell uh, mortar is shells. This, is, is this... Uh equipment that was so given given to the Ukraine and it was supposed to use to fight the Russians that they actually sold to somebody else. So the Serbians are saying no. The Serbians saying it's a Serbian company that provided it was a deal and the Ukrainians were merely providing the transport. What I find interesting is since the Ukraine has a um, restriction on males between the ages of 18 and 60, I believe, on leaving the Ukraine, how did an airplane with eight Ukrainian men on it uh, leave the Ukraine? There are a lot of holes in the story. Um, it sort of has gone quiet in Greece. They're investigating and they're looking, but there is not. You would think five days or six days after the crash. I think somebody had an oh, crap moment. (laughs) Oh, yes. Like, yes, yes, right. I know what you're referring to. Yes. I can't use the other word. But we know what you mean. Yes. (laughs) Mario, thank you very much. Always great information and good perspective. And sadly, boy, tough times over there in Europe, too. My goodness. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much. And coming up um, after the break, everybody here on Cats at Night, Dr. Peter Mihalos is going to be joining us. Uh, We'll get an assessment on Biden's health, uh, monkeypox, and a whole bunch more. Stay with us here on Cats at Night, everybody. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And welcome back to Cats at Night. This is Rita Cosby here with John Katsimatidis and also Governor David Patterson and Judge Richard Weinberg. We always call you still governor, even if you're former gov. You're always you're a current gov to us. Sounds great. Uh, we love it. <laughs> and we continue now with this great show. We are bringing in now Dr. Peter Mihalos, uh, the resident doctor extraordinaire. And uh, first of all, doctor, great to have you here. There's so much to talk about. I got to ask you, because just a few hours ago, the big news is we suddenly saw President Biden get out there. Of course, you know, he was diagnosed with COVID. Um, but he didn't look too good, and he was coughing, and he was having a hard time speaking. 
Um, of course, needless to say, anybody who goes through COVID, it's a tough scenario. But what was your assessment? Well, obviously, you know, I'm not his uh, physician, but it's a higher risk for people who are uh, over 70 or have any pre-existing conditions. Uh, the good news is that the uh, vaccinated people uh, tend to uh, not get as sick. You still get COVID. Of the 300 people a day who die in the United States, 40% are fully vaccinated. So uh, the vaccines uh, are designed for the original Alpha and Delta variant. We don't really have new variant-specific vaccines, but they do help give some boost to the immune system to help uh, make it aware and uh, repel these vaccines enough, repel the virus enough that you don't end up on a ventilator or admitted to the hospital. So you still will get sick. You go through five days in the viral replication phase. And uh, I'm not a doctor, but if it were me and I was 79, I would ask for the IV uh, antibody infusion. The one uh, by Eli Lilly, the Voltevovab, is the most commonly used one right now. And it basically caps off the little spike protein, which is like the little nice key that enters your cell. So that's what you know, I would be doing. And we also have antivirals. So nobody talked about his treatment, which is interesting. Um, yeah, he's taking Paxlovid. He's taking this Paxlovid, the um, the uh, antiviral. You know what's interesting? We were talking about, shouldn't he be um, sleeping? Like, he's 79 years old, and he's clearly not super energetic. Uh, I'll tell you what, what I uh, think. No, go ahead, doctor. I was going to say they need to show that someone is, you know, with it and on the front and things are, you know, still in control. So I think that that's the you know, image that someone wants to portray, but I'm sure he's resting and we wish him all the best and a speedy recovery. And, you know, there's other things I'm sure his position is we giving always, him. We always wish the president of the United States. Absolutely. Uh, without a doubt. Absolutely. What I, what, I, what I would say is that, remember, President Trump got diagnosed with COVID on a Friday and goes to the hospital on Saturday no one knows where he is, and there's all this speculation about what might have happened to him. Then Sunday, he shows up in a van with four Secret Service agents as a rally. And you got to say that that looked pretty good for somebody who was being counted out 24 hours before. I tend to think that presidents sort of compete with each other a little bit. So Biden felt he had to be present and on camera today. And I think that was a mistake. It'd be better that you are resting and recovering and coming back strong in a few days than worrying about what people are going to think in the interim days. Right. And also uh, Trump within 24 hours was getting an infusion of the Regeneron antibody, which at the time was very effective against the Alpha and Delta variant. So that was the difference when you get those infusions. And I know a lot of people have had it done in 12 hours, you start feeling better. So I think uh, that was a, uh, was part of it too and i tell our audience out there if you get sick if you have any risk factors please get treated right away either the antivirals within the first 72 hours or the iv antibodies it's now readily available in the pharmacies and hospitals all over the country and both florida for example they'll even come to your house and give you an infusion if you're high risk so the treatment is out there so please i encourage people to get get treated. But again, the good news is it's burning through the population like crazy. I think we're getting uh, so close to a, a powerful herd immunity that it's going to end up being more like a, yeah, know, what a if, bad uh, cold. And uh, Peter, I, uh, we were talking also about uh, monkeypox. 800 
probable monkeypox cases in New York? This is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The good news is that the monkeypox is a DNA virus, so they don't really mutate as much in DNA viruses. That's why when you were a kid, you got immunized to uh, DNA-type viruses, and those uh, vaccines lasted for a long time, just like uh, those of us who are old enough to have had a smallpox vaccine. We actually already have some memory immunity that gives us a certain level of protection. And uh, it, it, it is out there, the monkeypox, and I just think people have to be careful if they suspect that someone has, you know, lesions or the fever or any pustules or things like that. They shouldn't be engaging in any uh, activities that are intimate, you know, and that goes for, you know, men, women, because that's how you get it. If you're, uh, if you're sick, the same thing with someone who's sick with uh, COVID, it's better to, you know, stay out of, you know, the family Thanksgiving dinner if you just tested positive for COVID. But I think the good news is that there is a vaccine for monkeypox. It's highly effective. And uh, we're very fortunate with uh, things like Operation Warp Speed that we have all these great new medicines to treat the COVID. And thanks for you guys getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. Thank you, Dr. Mihalos, and thank you, Judge Weinberg, Governor Patterson, and thank you, uh, Rita, for pitching in today. Great job, Rita. Thank Great you. Great job. You guys and, make it easy. It's fun to be with you. And it's fun to be with you. And tell us, what do we stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American way. way. God bless. And make sure you listen to Cat's Roundtable, a great interview with Kevin McCarthy and on Rita Sunday. And tonight at 10 to 12. We got it all covered here on WABC.